I've noticed since becoming a parent that as much as new fears have entered my life, I've also never been so unencumbered by fear than when there is a threat to my son. I feel in the moment, it's like your body takes over, your, your mind doesn't think, and you just run toward whatever that child is facing. Whether it's Henry booking it down the driveway as I'm wrestling a bunch of groceries, and I know that oncoming parking lot traffic is not gonna see his little frame. So what do I do? I have to drop that bag of raw beef and eggs and sprint towards the end of the driveway and swipe him up in time. Or there are those times when you supernaturally fly across the room to save them from falling down a flight of stairs because just that one time, you forgot to put the gate up. Actually, shout out to Emily Earl on this one. Didn't tell her I was gonna mention her. But she, she literally slid across our entire hardwood floor at one point to save Henry from one of those little accidents. You can give her a clap for that. I think she deserves it. <laughs> There's also the time where my mom posted a photo on Facebook of a bat on her bedroom wall. Now, I'm not trying to throw my mom under the bus. Mom, if you're listening, I love you so much. <laughs> but the post's tone seemed to be very like innocently shocked. Like, a bat on my bedroom wall? How crazy. So I had to admit to her entire Facebook community by commenting below that, first of all, I was glad that happened before our visit, but also that was not the first time that had happened. There have been many bats in our house over the years. We grew up in an old farmhouse, so that's going to be part of the story. So I thought it was funny that she innocently posted that, and I'm like, mm, not quite. Just a couple of months before that, in fact, Henry and I were visiting home, visiting that old farmhouse to see my parents. And as Henry slept innocently upstairs, my parents and I were catching up in the downstairs living room. Before we know it, there's a bat that comes zooming in, swooping around our heads. And I just remember thinking my first thought was, I really don't want rabies today. I mean, I never want them, granted. But I was like, man. And then my second thought immediately was Henry. That might sound selfish and the reverse, but I'm like, Henry. So I race upstairs, scream bloody murder the whole way up with a blanket over my head as I pass my dad trying to trap the bat in the bathroom. But all I could think of is what if something happened to my sweet little Henry in his playpen as he slept innocently? If something, if I could do something, I would. I would run toward the bite. I would run toward rabies. I would run toward anything for the sake of my baby boy. And I think that's because mamas and papas run toward their fear for the sake of their children. Police officers run toward their fear for the sake of innocent civilian lives. I think firefighters run toward their fear to save a family in crisis. And pilots every day run toward their fear as they navigate bad weather and keep the people on the plane safe. We all, I think, run toward our fear when it comes to keeping the people we love safe from harm. But I don't think what comes so naturally for us is running toward fear when it's for the sake of a dream God has given us. Or maybe running toward our fear for the sake of a stranger or the greater community. The list goes on. I think we can choose to make running toward our fear a discipline in our lives instead of just an exception. I think 
that if we are willing to process and sacrifice our own comfort and freedom and security for the sake of a greater vision and purpose, God will be in that. He will reward that. So today, we are finishing our four-week sermon series called Through the Eyes of a Lion. And typically, you'd think of a lighter topic during the summer, maybe one filled with picturesque imagery of gushing springs of life and roaring rivers, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And not that those concepts aren't super important, but if you haven't noticed, we've talked about some pretty hard things the last few weeks. I think the first week Justin delivered a message about recognizing that through our wounds, we are actually able to experience more light. And in week two's message, Roger focused on the long game and trusting that even though there's pain in the present moment, there is a bigger picture to look forward to. Week three, Pastor Eric talked about having hope is your anchor through the storms of life. And this week we're finishing the series and we're finishing it by talking about running toward our fear or in Levi Lesko's terms, running toward the roar. In keeping with the lion imagery in his book, Levi speaks about how lions are known for their powerful roars and for being incredible team-oriented hunters. However, individually, lions can't actually accomplish very much. They're, they're slower than most of their prey. But they have a system worked out where the male lion roars his powerful 114 decibel roar, which is, by the way, at least 30 decibels higher than what we run the music here at. So imagine just one roar, just shooting out your eardrums. That roar chases the prey right into where the female is waiting in the brush. So in the case of lions, it is safer to run toward the roar than away from it. Are you catching my drift? For the prey, it's actually safer for them to run toward their fear than away from it. The females are hidden skilled hunters, which means running toward the male or past them in the opposite direction is the safest option. Levi says, it's counterintuitive that the safest thing would be to run toward the roar head on, not away from it. And so often it is with life. In talking about some prominent heroes of the Bible, like Esther, King David, Daniel, and many others, Levi reminds us that we're not the first to have to choose fear in order to unlock our destinies. Chances are, <clears throat> sorry, I need a drink. <laughs> that worship was awesome, but it got me super thirsty. So one sec. Now I gotta find my place. Sorry, guys. Um, oh yeah. If so, he says, if any of these or many others listened to their fear, they would have lived, but it would have meant the death of their destiny. Chances are, most of us aren't facing fears that are immediately connected to life or death scenarios. However, I think it's important to see these characters as the ultimate display of what it looks like to sacrifice everything for the sake of what God has called us to do. These very human examples in the Bible are exactly who we should be looking to every day as we fight this fight. And in light of talking about fear today and before we open our Bibles, I wanted to share this quote by Rick Warren because I think it's super interesting. He says, it's interesting to note that there are 365 verses in the Bible that say fear not. God provided us with a fear not message for every day of the year. Don't you think God is saying, get the message, don't be afraid. It's interesting that almost every time God talks to someone in the Bible, the first thing he says is don't be afraid. 
I love this because I think it insinuates we are completely normal to fear, that we are totally and beautifully human. And to be totally human, we not only have to experience fear, we have to overcome that fear. And God giving us these words of encouragement for every day of the year, I think, means that he knows exactly what we're struggling with. And he doesn't just give us this commandment because he can. He gives it because he knows he has access to all of the best resources for the fight. He knows that we can face that fear. So let's open our Bibles, if you have them with you, to our main passage for today. We'll be reading out of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that you may be filled with that I may be filled with joy. I remember reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purposes and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of the Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished sin and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed preacher, apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until the day he is entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you will hear from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. In this passage, we find Paul in a prison in Rome writing to his mentee, Timothy. He writes as a man who knows he's about to die. He's about to be executed. He writes with passion and vigor, encouragement, that Timothy would continue to stand firm and fight the good fight. Paul's greeting is filled with love, and in his first chapter, where we find ourselves today, Paul makes sure to remind Timothy that the Holy Spirit that is within him gives him access to a power that will conquer any fear. In fact, he adamantly reminds him that God did not give Timothy a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control, or a sound mind. When Paul continues on, he's, not, he's talking about not being ashamed of the testimony of Jesus or of himself, but also being ready and willing to share in that suffering. Everything that follows seems to show that Paul desperately wants to get across to Timothy that now is the time more than ever to live with boldness and vigor for Christ. I think it's Paul's last attempt to mentor Timothy and say in a powerful way urges him to rest completely in the same God that was with David in his fight against Goliath, the same God that was with Daniel when he shut the mouths of the hungry lions, the same God that rose Jesus from the dead. It's his last effort to push Timothy into an all-out relationship with Jesus. That regardless of the fear he might feel or the trials he might face, that Jesus is worth all of it. That the plans God has for him include running toward the roar. 
but it's worth it. So how do we actually run toward the roar? Like it's one thing to say, hey, you run toward that roar, girl. It's a whole other thing to actually do it. You name it, it's easier said than done. Have you ever heard, yeah, all you have to do is get up at 5 a.m. every day, fast all day, never look at dessert again, and you'll lose a ton of weight. Or how about you just got to stop watching Netflix, read five books a month. Simple. Or starting a million-dollar company is easy. Just got to hustle and grind 80 hours a week for three years. You name it. I think especially because we are all so uniquely different, we cannot always relate to the person next to us and what that call actually looks like. We are all struggling with unseen issues, whether that's anxiety or depression, a physical ailment, maybe a connection to a past trauma or a broken relationship, even just bad experiences. We're all going through things that make our goals seem too big, but maybe to other people so small or vice versa. I think what's important is that today we are finding new ways to run toward that roar together. God doesn't want you to walk away from this message feeling like you know some truth, but feeling like that truth is unconquerable. He wants you walking away today feeling empowered to live out that truth, that call on our lives. So here are three things I think we really need in our runner's belt in order to thrive in this call to run toward our destiny. Number one, we need discipline. Number two, we need community, and perhaps the most obvious, number three, we need a lot of grace. I think it goes without saying that as a people, we are fairly undisciplined. As I mentioned before, we do have these unseen struggles, unseen addictions, unseen hurdles that our neighbor next to us might not understand, and that's not fair. It's not fair that someone was born with diabetes. It's not fair that this person lost their, their parents at a young age. Life is so hard, it's unfair, and it's painful. And that's exactly why we need discipline. We need discipline to guide us when our emotions try to control us. We need discipline to remind us that the same words we've memorized of scripture are just as true today as they will be tomorrow. We need discipline to remember that though life is unfair, we have the power to change our attitudes today. We have the power to change our choices tomorrow and the environment our kids grow up in in the future. God has given us the power of discipline to strengthen us when we are weak. And discipline looks different for all of us. We, we all know that we'd benefit from prayer and scripture reading, fasting, tithing, you name it. But I know that there's some disciplines in my life that I need to get a hold of. And maybe there's some disciplines in your lives that you've given up on. We are all in a different space with that. Discipline creates an atmosphere where endurance can truly thrive. Hebrews 12, 10 through 13 reminds us, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who are trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. I can honestly say that the times in my life I've needed the most courage, whether it's an interview or it's a storm, a physical threat, a tryout, the only thing that has ever given me the courage and comfort I've actually needed was knowing that the Bible verses I had memorized years, months, even weeks before 
were exactly what I needed to get through. Saying those words over and over, knowing that God is my refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble, therefore we will not fear, Psalms 46. Or be strong and courageous, do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go, Joshua 1.9. Or even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, Psalms 23. I can do this because of discipline. Because somewhere down the line, someone thought it was important to teach me that using the word of God can be protection over my body, my soul, my mind. Somewhere down the line, someone forced discipline on me in this particular way. And it has since acted as a weapon for my daily struggles. And honestly, a lifelong lighthouse for my wandering soul. Memorizing his word is not just a requirement for gaining access to true peace. It's a flashlight in the dark. I think this Douglas Rumford quote sums it up exactly. Spiritual discipline, then, is developing soul reflexes so we know how to live. We discipline ourselves to develop soul memory in normal times so that we will be equipped for the times of high demand or deep crisis or fear. If we can develop these soul reflexes with God's help, we can have something firm and lasting, just like we sang about in the song, to rely on as we run toward the very things that temporarily terrify us. I'm going to read that one more time. If we can develop these soul reflexes with God's help, we have something firm and lasting to rely on as we run toward the very things that temporarily terrify us. We need discipline to run toward the roar. We also need each other. We need community. I need you, and you need me. To accomplish the big dreams God has put on our lives, to live out the greater mission of bringing all people into a deep understanding of his love for us, the hope they have, we need each other. I mentioned in another sermon a couple months ago that I spent a few months in Tanzania. Africa back in college. And the fun thing about the sermon series for me is that so many of those lion facts that Levi Lesko reproduced, I actually knew by heart from my East African wildlife and behavior class and from going on three real safaris. And by real, I mean the real thing. No fences, no protected land. It was just open, free range. Can you put up the first picture for me? Oh, you're good, you're good, there it is, okay. So that's just like a very small example, that beautiful little elephant in the middle there. So just wide open plains full of African animals. Free roaming zebras, lions, giraffes, elephants, my personal favorite hippos. I learned so much in that semester and according to my last sermon, that's the one where I chopped off the head of a young puff adder snake. I'm going to read a little entry from my journal so that you can feel like you were right there as the next picture comes up on the screen. Thursday, February 9th, 2012. We woke up the next day excited about what the day two's safari would bring. We left for our morning safari after breakfast and as I sat in the aardvark, it hit me hard that I was in Africa and how blessed I truly was. Today we saw lots of things, but the most exciting was a pride of lions. We got to take turns and see them so up close with tons of exclamation marks. That's like all I do in my journals. I'm so bummed that my Zoom broke a couple months ago before I came here. It stinks that I won't have the best pictures of the whole trip like that. (laughs) But 
I'm so thankful I get to experience it all. So that's like live, like you feel like you're actually there right now with me. I think the thing I loved learning about in that class was how African predators and prey work and how they're all so different. And one thing I learned is that prey are so much safer in a herd. And we know that, like that's common sense. You're safer in a group. But let's just dissect that for a moment. There's power in numbers and there's protection in the confusion a herd can create for a prey, for a predator. Together, these herds of helpless animals have a much better chance of surviving a surprise attack. And I think the same is totally true with us. We are so much more likely to be confident when we're walking with a friend, even to the bathroom, right? Washroom, sorry. But we are, we're more confident walking with friends. We're more likely to succeed when we have accountability. We're so much more likely to feel secure even in the face of danger when we, we have someone else to hold on to. So Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. When we show up time and time again for one another, we create a bond that is not easily broken. The trust that is built between us acts as the glue holding our herd together. I think we each need to have a goal to find the friends and be the friends that will be with each other in every and any circumstance. God created us to be in community with each other. And if you're looking for a tangible way to make that a reality, maybe try serving alongside a friend in a ministry that you're passionate about. Or opening up your home to more friends, maybe even some strangers. Joining a group here at church that starts in just a few weeks, that's just a shameless plug. I think when we as a community can fully embrace the freedom we have found in Christ, and walk out of that darkness together like we just sang in the song, I believe we'll be displaying to the world one of the greatest and most powerful aspects of our faith. When people see Christians truly unfettered by their sin and faithfully living bold but still imperfect lives together, there's almost nothing more beautiful or powerful than that. I love how Henry Nouwen reminds us, no one person can fulfill all your needs but the community can hold you, can truly hold you. The community can let you experience the fact that beyond your anguish, there are human hands that hold you and show you God's faithful love. Allow the people God has put into your life to truly hold you. We need community to run toward that roar. And we need grace. We need so much grace. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. There's enough grace to go around, around and around. There's no failure, no misstep, no mistake, too big for God's grace to cover. He wants you to rest in him, to know that ultimately, we need him to overcome those weaknesses, those fears, those inadequacies in our lives. The moment we refuse God's grace is the moment we begin saying no to God 
and maybe un unintentionally at first, that no begins to become a pattern. And maybe we end up not giving others the same grace we need to extend that we've received. I think it's, it's true that we are more likely to give up on our brothers and sisters when we start saying no to God's grace. So to fight that, we need to be reminded on a daily basis that Jesus' grace is the reason we live. That we might fall many times on our way to the roar, but that we can keep getting up, keep giving ourselves and others that grace to cross the finish line, to fight the fight, to face our fears, to follow his dreams for us together. When we live into that grace he has already given us, I think we begin to view fear in the healthy way that we need to, as the temporary obstacle that it is, that we are way more than able to overcome. When we live into the grace he has already given us, we begin to fear fe see fear in the healthy way as a temp temporary obstacle that we are more than able to overcome. We need grace to run toward that roar. The last story I want to share today is really close to my heart. I think any woman in the room who has given birth has maybe experienced something a little similar to what I'm about to share with you. And don't worry, I don't think the stage is necessarily the place to relive my entire birth story, especially the gruesome details. <laughs> but I do want to recall that moment in active labor when I thought enough is enough. The pain was too intense. The fear was too overwhelming and all-consuming, and the time had come. I was going to die. <laughs> now, I've had a lot of near-death experiences in my life. I'm a little bit of an adrenaline junkie, you can ask my husband. I love roller coasters and tattoos and falling off safari vans in Africa and swimming in hippo-infested rivers in the middle of a storm, capsizing in a sailboat with my parents, cliff jumping, broken bones, you name it. None of those near-death experiences have come close to labor. Now, it might seem dramatic to some of you who have not experienced it, but I'm telling you, when your body feels like it's being ripped in half, there is not a time on earth you feel closer to meeting your maker. I remember at one point focusing so hard, staring at out the bedroom window as the snow was just pulling down, and it was just in the middle of like... The, the two seconds I had in between a contraction. And I remember just saying calmly and firmly to Justin, I'm going to die tonight. I'm, re <laughs> I'm really going to die. Deadpanned. And, <laughs> and he just, you know, didn't know how to react, I'm sure. But said very calmly, you're not going to die. Like, I think trying to convince himself because he's like, what is happening? And I remember laughing, like thinking, probably not out loud in my head, almost laughing. This guy has no idea what he's talking about. It is tonight. Start planning my funeral now. So that might sound crazy. I know I'm living it up a little bit, but you have to, right? If you go through something like that. I'm sharing this to say you never know what can be birthed out of your faithfulness to run toward the roar, to run toward your fear. There is no replacement for Henry Bear. He is the greatest result of the greatest fear I have ever known. God has given me new life, new purpose, new joy through one of the scariest moments of my life. Fear, when we learn to stand against it in the love of Christ, like we sang about, can birth miracles beyond our understanding. You might be in the middle of a fear right now, 
that you are thinking no one is taking seriously. You might be pushing, struggling, fighting, and feeling so alone. You are not alone. Or maybe you're feeling overwhelmed by the anxiety that seems to riddle your body and your mind day in and day out, and you feel like there is no way out, and no one hears your cry. Someone hears you. Or maybe you've been so hurt and you've experienced pain in unimaginable ways and you feel like you will never be healed. You will be healed. Running toward the roar doesn't mean we are supposed to run blindly and foolishly into our demise. Running toward the roar simply means fighting with all you have, believing that God is with you and leaning on those around you to be your support your accountability, and your safe place. You are not alone in the fight. Run toward the roar and into the freedom of your calling. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we are praying a brave, courageous prayer together. We are praying against the enemy, the one like a roaring lion seeking to devour us. We are praying against the lies we believe, the fear we succumb to, the inaction we are prone to, and the lack of grace we give ourselves and to others. We believe you are with us, that your call for us to run toward our fear and into our destiny is for our benefit. I pray that we would know and believe the power you have given us through your Son. I pray that we would no longer be slaves to our fear, but that we would remember we are your children and you protect your children. I pray we would rest in the sound minds you have given us instead of living into the spirit of fear that is against your very nature. I pray that you would anoint us with freedom, that you would give us dreams and visions that are so much bigger than ours. I pray that you would unite this church in you that the unity you have given us here would shine brightly into the community and into the world. Father, we surrender our fear to you, knowing that we are running towards a prize much, much bigger. We love you and we trust you. Thank you for providing a way. In your precious son's name, amen.